Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Banks, host of Leadership Luminaries, a PeopleSmart production. PeopleSmart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. My guest today is Sarah Burbage. And in my conversation with Sarah today, we'll talk about disruption, fun, staying young, storytelling, and joy. We'll talk about how these things enhance the, the employee experience and improve business results, oh, and life in general. So Sarah Burbage is head of change at the BBC. She was a BBC TV and radio reporter and newsreader who became a live events producer and then became the head of change. Sarah's career has followed a Bridget Jones to W1A trajectory. <laughs> Currently part of the team focused on future of work at the BBC. Mm -hmm. She's co-founder of A Life More Extraordinary, a trustee for mental health charity Soulscape and a champion for two to three days.com. Sarah is passionate about people, content, and change. She's a creative leader with a can-do attitude and a track record for getting stuff done, whilst having plenty of fun along the way. In her other equally rewarding and exhausting role as mummy, head of fun and executive assistant to Oliver, age seven, and Gracie, age five, and Ginny the Spaniel, age one, Sarah is busy questing for the ultimate cocktail of sense of humor, well-being, and work-life balance collision. Absolutely. Welcome, Sarah. <laughs> Lovely to be here, Michael. Thank you. Questing for the ultimate cocktail. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we were just we were just talking about the spiky Mikey, weren't we? The vodka with a shot of Fernet Branca in it. I love um, that. That's that's much more you're doing than mine, though, Michael. Yes. I know. And, and of course, you're talking about a meta metaphorical cocktail here as well. Yeah, um, I'd like to consider myself a gym influencer, I suppose. Yes. A gin influencer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're in. I didn't know you were into gin. Yeah, yeah. We've got. Well, I think it was the gin shed in the garden that basically saved me through lockdown. So absolutely, yeah. Oh, and, me too. Um, we, my social evening at work as well is called gin and chips. Gin and <laughs> chips. I love it. Well, the, the, there's a danger here. Because we both like stories, and if we're both into gin, which I am too, we could go off on a long tangent about our favourite gins, so uh, and where they come yeah. from. So, but we're not going to, because we could indeed. Well, we could indeed. <laughs> you, we are, mustn't. Yeah. you sound like you've had a lot of gin already, Sarah. What's going on? <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. I, mean, I just thought the actual clue was in the intro when you introduced Ginny the puppy. Oh, <laughs> because, oh I'm sorry, because, I missed it. I'm slow. Yeah. So, so Ginny, Ginny the puppy is, um, I'll give you my first little story because um, this is potentially why I may well be nominated for Parent of the Year um, mm. to add to my biog. Um, but whenever we're out walking um, with Ginny the puppy, people say to us, oh, is it Ginny from Harry Potter? And then my five-year-old will interrupt and say, no, it's gin and tonic because mummy loves gin and tonic. <laughs> Oh, great. <laughs> so great. And I'm there going, ooh. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll I know we're going to reference your daughter again as we mm. go through the conversation, but we'll come to that. 
yeah. uh, when it uh, comes to the uh, bit we're going to talk about joy. Um, my first question, Sarah, is um, dear to my heart. Why is disruption so important? And what are the benefits of being a disruptor? Wow. Well, firstly, I think it's kind of like, I, I think I've been an unconscious disruptor potentially all my life because I'm one of those people that is kind of always in the conversation. And if I feel there's something that needs saying, it's pretty much leaping out of my chest and going boom, boom, boom. So kind of, there's a, I feel a responsibility to disrupt sometimes if I feel conversations are going in the wrong direction or certain viewpoints aren't in a room. Um, and if you're sort of like not really raising the real point or the undercurrent or the sort of like, you know, description, but having a title like head of change is essentially like a gorgeous permission, I think, <laughs> to kind of be the professional disruptor. And I think it is that, that sort of like nudging along maybe um, and kind of getting conversations to where they could and should be, um, but also kind of like, you know, kind of prodding at possibilities. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not just a horrible nuisance. I mean, that makes me sound really, really nasty, but I suppose kind of um, disruption for good. And I think there's a kind of like, it's being a disruptor in a room is sometimes quite a responsibility, it can be quite exhausting and it can take quite a lot of energy. But I actually also see it as a real joy because you're essentially kind of the one that's allowed to say, isn't that just a bit boring? Or like, can't we try it like this? Or kind of, um, you can introduce joy and play by kind of disrupting quite conventional conversations. Or, and I mean, I often excuse it as well, Michael, as um, natural thought. Or should we just throw something else in there? Or kind of, you know. Um, and I think sometimes it kind of just gives the, a, a kind of possibility to spark creativity as well. I mean, I've been really privileged in my career, as you sort of said, of like worked on really big creative live projects where a big idea will sometimes just get the backing and you have to deliver it. And I think sometimes that knowing that great outcomes can come out of sort of almost what seems at first as quite a daring concept or a thought um, is, is, really, is really exciting. I mean, I was in an interview when I interviewed to work on BBC School Report, which lets young people report the news. And I, I pitched to have a big school trip to the Olympic Park um, with young people whilst it was being built. I mean, health and safety nightmare screaming. But actually, when I got pointed to the position, they said, go on then, let's do it. And that day was just one of the most joyful days of my career, where we had young people in the handball arena interviewing Lord Co and speaking on pretty much every BBC outlet, you know, on BBC Breakfast, on every single nation and region, and sharing the news about, you know, and it was the day that the, um, the young people's allocation for tickets to the Olympics was also kind of distributed. So I think daring to be disruptive or daring to be creative sometimes has really big dividends and, um, and also kind of has a responsibility as well. I mean, I think there is also that kind of like sometimes being the person that will call something out if it's not, not quite right. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you're talking, Sarah, I mean, one of the things that I, I think the, the role of a disruptor is, can play is, um, is to wake people up, mm. you know, because so often people go into zombie mode, especially in business meetings and uh, any kind of meeting, actually. And, 
uh, it's there's a a real case for I, I want to say and I don't mean this is a bad way for shocking people mm. uh, into oh never thought of that or oh my god yeah oh I feel, I'm that's thrown me well good yeah, yeah. no I couldn't agree more and I think so I was sort of discussing brand and sort of like what would what might my brand be and I ended up on a kind of dangerous conversation that I can't believe I'm about to share with you um where I came up with this phrase good naughty and um it and I, and I sort of decided not to go with it because it does sound like an underwear brand um or something like that, that <laughs> might, end up, <laughs> might end up being kind of um sold at Anne Summers but good naughty essentially is is yet like you say that kind of it's it's being able to sometimes inject that kind of refreshing or energizing or mischievous kind of thing in the room and I think quite often certainly in if you go into a room with the the sort of like title head of change a lot of people recoil and worry about what on earth you're going to do to them um whereas actually if people are with you and kind of realize that you're going to go about things with a sense of humor being a bit human and also kind of trying to inject joy into it along the way gosh it's a much better way to get things done so I will always be that person that is making the case for the human making the case for everybody to be having a better time and you know and I mean you know I work at the BBC one of the greatest kind of clips that's being played out at the moment on one of our um <laughs> one of our trailers is, is um boring from Killing Eve and I mean I just think it's sometimes moments like that where that's where you learn that an idea is probably not going to fly and probably shouldn't go beyond that meeting room. And, and sometimes that's massively valuable, right? I mean, why waste, why waste everyone's time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. uh, absolutely. I think also, that if you're going to be disruptive, that um, there's a, obviously there's a downside. If you're doing it for the wrong reasons, mm. obviously it's destructive. It's, it has very negative impact, but I think it's it's a question of coming from a, a good in, a good place. Like you you want, as you said, good naughty. You want to to disrupt for the best reasons. Yeah, um, well, disruption with integrity. You want to be a pain in the rear, you know. Oh no, I'm sure some people think I am totally. But I think yeah, disruption with integrity. And I think kind of as long as it's coming from the right place and not just not just, you know, to make chaos. So like when we, um, when I was the senior change manager on making, um, putting the first digital newsroom into the BBC and I got to work um, with some fantastic people, but one of the greatest insights that actually drove that transformation um, was a mix of insights from audience and staff. And it essentially said, and this was before we knew who was gonna lead this work, it essentially said is what we probably need is, is someone a bit naughty with someone sensible next to them to lead this, you know? And it was like kind of, actually, the person that we found, um, Fiona Campbell, who's now the director of BBC Three, um, who set up the, I knew she was the right, right person as soon as I met her because she was wearing silver trousers. And I mean, you know, just that, that doesn't happen a lot in the newsroom. So even before she'd even spoken or introduced herself, I, you know, it was just this energy and just this fantastic, person who translated right through to her outfit as she's walking into the room um, and I think sometimes that's that's really really important and I mean that was coming from a place of truth it was true to the audience insight it was true to the staff insight and it spoke of actually making sure there was someone a bit different 
leading this, this mission to digital. Um, and, it, you know, it gave it so much more power and immediately every meeting we had about digital, it had a huge buzz around it and standing room only couldn't get in the room um, when you wanted to come to our digital updates. So I think a real case for that kind of sort of disruption, disruption for good. Yeah. And, you know, it's as again, as when you're talking, I'm reminded of how performance is improved when people are enjoying themselves, mm. when, when, it's a, when it's a fun work environment, um, when people are happy, they tend to work together better and they tend to, um, to, to produce better results. And so I want to ask you about, is it okay, do you think, to have fun at work? I mean, is to have fun in business, is it okay to do that? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, you know, that's what you do on a Saturday night. You know. Yeah, yeah, sorry, you caught, caught me, I'm nodding emphatically, which you can't see on a podcast, of course. But um, yeah, you absolutely, I, I do believe it's okay to have fun. I mean, I don't think you need to bring a whole a whole Saturday night, probably not all the shots to work, um, but um, all the dancing on the bars. But I think, um, I think, yeah, I mean, wouldn't that just be the, the ultimate? That if we could really, really have a good time getting stuff done um, and I think when you've got the right mix and when I've had brilliant teams around me um, it's full of people who are bringing something different and busy in flow because they are busy being themselves so it comes naturally and I think there is a certain joy to that so I'm not just saying mindless reckless let's all just laugh hysterically that kind of joy I think it's the sort of joy that comes with authenticity and empathy um, and sometimes admitting you're not in the best of moods. I think it's a kind of, I think true joy. I think true joy comes from a place of sort of um, knowing what real sadness is as well. So I think it's actually just being able to be human, but actually to know that in, you know, in the business space, of course there's a place for joy because happy teams do better work. I mean, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer for me. And, and who wouldn't want people to be happy and, and there's a great business byproduct, you know, happy, healthy teams. So I think it's that it has to be built of really strong building blocks where you check in on well-being as well and where you check in on kind of uh, on where people are at and you really respect people for the individuality they bring. And true joy isn't just that kind of wild night out. True joy is being able to sit in silence with someone as well and just feel completely yourself and at peace. Yeah. Um, or walk, you know, walk along the seafront. So I think kind of like, um, I think there's a there's a calm joy as well as a crazy joy. I'll admit I'm probably a bit more on the crazy side um, and a bit more bring the party. I mean, my friends will say when, when we go camping or when we go on holidays, they'll bring the practical, can I bring the party? Um, so it's, it's, it's the knowing where you fit maybe as part of that and from, yeah, business is so it's a win-win because you can you know to be to getting getting something done miserably it's just so joyless and so life-limiting and even if you've got it done if, if the only satisfaction is is ticking that box or just scrubbing off the list then you're not going to try and do it again are you exactly it's like, <laughs> it's like you know exactly. no it's it's and apart from anything else it's it's um it's actually takes a lot of energy 
and to not enjoy yourself. You know, to stay yeah. miserable while you're working towards a goal is a real track. It was so, that fact about frowns and smiles, isn't it? It says about how many muscles it takes to frown and how many is to smile. Yeah, uh, it's right, like, yeah. right, right. It takes a lot of energy to be miserable. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Um, the, the other thing is that I think when, when people are miserable, they are more self, um, self, self-concerned. You know, when you when you when you're enjoying yourself, you tend to be more able to connect with other people, uh, mm. more outgoing in your focus, uh, which is more healthy actually as well. Um, yeah. The the other thing is that I I also like to come back to the to the current crisis as well mm. with the resignations, mass resignations, and then also the the staff shortages, people, and and you. So one of the key challenges for corporate leaders these days is actually finding people and then keeping them because uh, because of the turnover and attrition. Yeah. And having a, a work environment or a business in which people are uh, joyful, um, having fun, playing, is surely a key ingredient in maintaining people. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they want to be there. They want to be part of it. But yeah. if they're miserable all the time and they can't entertain each other or themselves, well, they're going to not be very motivated and they probably will leave or go somewhere else. I think it's that. And I also think it, I think being joyful or being comfortable is part of, is part of belonging. And the way I've been sort of like looking at this at the BBC and sort of trying to explain it. And you must kind of um, forgive the triteness of the fact that the initials are BBC. But um, I think we've been busy being the, like the last couple of years and just surviving um, and kind of just been busy being. We now then we're looking for belonging and that kind of like, you know, where, OK, but where shall I do my work and where can it be purposeful? And we're potentially looking for a bit more, actually, because we've been a bit kind of like yep. constrained. And then I think sort of, you know, then, so that's the B, that's the B and the B, so being, belonging. And only then really can you start building community. And I think it's kind of, you know, once you feel a sense of myself and accepted in a space and belonging, and I think that's what really talks to the huge, great resignation and attrition issues that we're seeing, actually. And I think, yeah, you might get people through the door, you might tick the box for diversity, you might get the, you know, people in, but actually, unless there really is a celebration of different cultures, different um, different types of people, and you know, a real recognition in leadership that difference is your superpower, um, and that for every different person around that table, they will stretch your ideas and kind of make your products all the better. Um, until that is really lived and known, I don't think you're kind of you're doing it authentically. So I think people people know that. I mean, people sense that we're humans, aren't we? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think that's what you're seeing, and I think also a lot more short shrift for that because why would you put up with it? We've just lost two years. Yeah. And some. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's a very good point because I think that. Um, my hunch is that people are thinking uh, along the lines of, I deserve to have a, a good life. Mm -hmm. I deserve to enjoy my life. I'm, I'm done. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, by the way, mm -hmm. and I think I told you this when we first uh, 
talked about doing the podcast interview mm. is that I, I feel like that we've got to a point where we've, we have so much doom and gloom and negativity around, mm. so many things to be stressed and worried about, that it's about time that we gave ourselves permission to have the fun and to have the play. We've got to do it for our own sanity uh, yeah. and well-being. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I completely agree, and I'm, I'm totally signed up. I mean, the thing I had to create during lockdown um, because of this was um, my own kind of webinar and podcast called A Life More Extraordinary. Mm. And that was just because I was so frustrated with, um, actually it was when people started coining the phrase way back when of new normal. And I just remember ranting in my car because it was the only place I could be um, and not be invaded by children or my husband who was desperately trying to homeschool them. Um, so I was hiding in a car, having rant about the new normal with my soon to be co-founder Ollie Matthews and I said well, what is it about the new normal surely we can do more than that surely who wanted normal anyway you know so my frustration with that kind of if we're going through this we've got to do something really productive with it was then met with him saying oh that's really interesting I'm having similar conversations with people and how can we make that you know how can we make that purposeful and, and so from there, we were like, let's talk to people with inspirational stories and see how they're doing it. So, you know, spoke to the chef de mission of the Paralympics. How do you put a load of Paralympians on hold? How do you, um, you know, how do you look after your well-being in lockdown? And how do you, we spoke to the Skipping Seek. We, um, you know, we also had... Skipping Seek. Yeah, incredible. And like, he was really, really pushing health and fitness. And um, and we, we kind of, we've just had little little inspirational stories, people that were diagnosed um, with cancer at the beginning of lockdown and turning it around, people, you know, um, but, but yeah, people like just trying different things out during lockdown, what can we learn from that? And, you know, and that's when a life more extraordinary um, was kind of, was born, but it's coming from that sense of, we can do better than that, you know? And I don't think people want to settle anymore. Um, but, and it, I think there's a good case for, Healthy restlessness, I suppose. Healthy restlessness. Yeah, it sounds a bit like another good naughty, doesn't it? Um, no, I don't think. A healthy it, uh, restlessness. I think it it makes sense. Um, again, one of the things that's happened, I think, is over the last couple of years, is that it's become relatively easy to be sort of somnambulistic. Uh, or not that's the wrong word to to be so comfortable in your own home that your ability to go out and have an adventure is sort of maybe you don't have, you're not motivated to do that anymore to the degree you yeah. were yeah and i think so the restlessness is important otherwise i think a lot of people have resigned themselves to not to actually having a sort of rather sedentary life you know? yes and limited, I think the, we obviously had to be so careful. And I think every time you inter introduce fear into a room or into kind of, you know, and obviously the pandemic introduced such a huge amount of fear, it, it makes people's ideas shut down and their options close down. And I think just being able to free people up, I mean, you hear it a lot in the change space because it's, you know, freedom to fail and freedom. But what that really means is freedom to innovate and freedom to adventure and explore. And, you know, 
that's what we see, you know, that's what we see in our, in our young people. That's what we see in youth and people, you know, wanting to sort of explore an adventure. And I remember there's a really funny picture we took really early on in homeschooling when we were putting quite a lot of effort in and, you know, we weren't totally exhausted and frustrated. And um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, what do you do with a sort of three-year-old and five-year-old? And I've got this gorgeous picture of them both in, in their science goggles or whatever we could improvise with. And they, they were making, you know, they were experimenting with ketchup and whatever things they could find around the kitchen to, to um, make them make a vaccine for coronavirus. And I mean, you know, we were playing with that and they were learning about mixtures and potions and, um, you know, and I think it's tagged on my social media as, you know, we've got our best people on it. <laughs> but, it's, but it's that idea of there was something so horrible going on. But instinctively as a mum, I knew I needed to do something kind of proactive with it. And, and they were all about making potions. And so in explaining it to them, you, you kind of, yeah, it was a safe, safe-ish way to explain it to them. It's slightly dangerous because they do actually think they created the vaccine for coronavirus. So I have had to explain that to them since. <laughs> <laughs> they were next to be asking for royalties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, um, you know, we talked about this before, but uh, on the theme of being joyful, mm. um, I'd like you to tell the audience uh, that story you told me about uh, your daughter's uh, uh, oh, yeah. about joy, being joyful. <laughs> oh, being, yeah, because that's why I sort of like, I, there's been a renaissance in my life of this word because I, I did sort of go off the word joy because I was trying to decide if it was a bit twee but, uh, or if it was a bit past its sell-by date and if it sounded a bit fluffy. But actually, Gracie, who's now five, um, who was the aforementioned three-year-old um, making the, um, <laughs> the coronavirus vaccine, was, um, well, I said, you know, what's important to you, Gracie? What's important, you know, like do, do some drawings and, and things. And she basically just wrote on this page, joyful is important. And um, because she'd heard, that's how she'd heard me say it. So it was spelt beautifully in itself and it was so joyous to just see. And it was I-M-P-O-I-T-O-O-O-O-N-G. So in pointoing, which I've started like taking on, I think, yeah. But joyful is in pointoing. And I thought joyful is important, isn't it? And there was this picture of just a girl dancing. And one of the things we did try and do a lot during the pandemic is dance in the kitchen. And I do have the poster in the, in the kitchen that says this kitchen is for dancing. And we did do a lot of kitchen discos. And that was a real truth, wasn't it? I mean, Sophie Ellis-Bexer set up the kitchen disco in her kitchen um, on BBC Radio. But we did. And the fact that that had stuck and that that was important to her, I thought, yeah, and we've got to hold on to that, haven't we? Because we do try and sort of crush the joy out of everything in favour of being something sensible. And, and I just thought, actually, it's an incredible wake-up call when you've got sort of a, a five-year-old saying that that's, you know, that's her fundamental. And, um, and I, yeah, I just think that's, that's it's, not, it's not something that's lightweight, actually, in my mind. It's so important when I was surrounded by friends who are experiencing burnout friends you know and and I kind of hearing of kind of suicidal thoughts and hearing of people really struggling with their mental well-being joyful is pretty pretty damn pointing it really is and being able to find the joy whether it's dancing in your kitchen whether it's being out in nature 
um, is huge. It's huge. Yeah. And I, and I was also interested because, I, you know, obviously that you are one of, of this, I'm sure there's many people listening to this who, uh, women who are mothers, mm. um, who have to balance professional lives mm. with having kids. And mm. I know the kids are really important to you. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you do see how um, your children can add or give you insight that enhances your working life and your business life. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Well, no, I absolutely do think they can. And I think there's, a, I mean, if you look at the power, power of the growth mindset, things like that, it's all about learning, growing, nurturing curiosity. And I think there is something about kind of, you only stay interesting if you're interested and kind of engaged. So I think kind of when I see them learning is when they're having fun. And I think kind of that permission to play relates directly to being able to in innovate. So quite often, you know, um, I'll be the I'll be the cringy one basically, um, who will always suggest the kind of like the most silly icebreaker in the room. So it's like kind of let's let's all take it in terms to jump into a hot seat and yeah, it doesn't matter that we're on Zoom, just jump into your chair and out of your chair and, and answer a question. And you know, and um I think that kind of just breaks the ice, but in a kind of like encourages people to sort of like have fun but I think there's a really important thing about learning that you do sort of see from your see from your children and how they learn and I think it, that keeps you young I also think there's been a, a lot of times when we just didn't talk about our children so sort of as a parent um they didn't come into the workplace and they physically were just so present on zoom um that you couldn't you couldn't hide anymore so it's a big part of authenticity. So I think having to just go, do you know what? Yeah, that is my husband in the background. He's trying to homeschool. And actually, yeah, that's Gracie. She's just run in and say hi, because she's fascinated that she can see all these faces on a screen. Um, and I think those sort of moments are actually much more valuable sometimes than even the meeting itself, because it really cuts through and you learn something else about the people you're working with. And that dynamic is quite often so much more important than than the task at hand because it, it's how you get the work done yes. and I think kind of how you get the work done is about understanding who you're working with um and I think that's huge I mean I had this moment in lockdown absolutely mortifying um but luckily enough you know as you said in my intro started off my career as Bridget Jones so these these sort of things happen to me regularly um, I was hosting the, the kind of the quiz for our team. I had about 200 people on the call and um, it was dangerously tea time. Um, so, and I was in the kitchen and that's where I was hosting from and, and they were in the front room. And I, I sort of read out hand question eight and Oliver burst through the door. <laughs> and I, I just said, and question eight. And he goes through the kitchen door and says, mommy, why is my bottom so stinky? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, and I said, and I go, actually, actually, that's not question eight. That's not question eight. <laughs> um, so I just think it keeps you humble is essentially what I'm saying, you know. Um, and actually, I, I could have just been really cross and really mortified, you know, get them out, you know. But actually... 
if we're really talking about this new work-life collision and how we can do it really well, then we, we just need to go with it a bit more, don't we? And if we yeah. guess what, the quiz still happened. People had an even better time because they got to laugh their head off at question eight. Um, and and I think, you know, and, and yeah, breaks the ice a bit, doesn't it? And I think um, sometimes we're so busy hiding who we really are and we should just get to know each other. Everyone's lovely. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I was, I was going to ask you if... Uh, in addition to your kids do, and your husband, I mean, mm. uh, does does Ginny ever appear on, on Zoom calls? Ginny is regularly on Zoom calls. And I, I get, do you know what? Ginny the puppy probably gets the most fan mail in our house. So even after my meetings, people will be messaging me going, oh, she's so cute. What, what's her breed? And then they'll send me pictures. And I've had so many pictures of people's dogs um, <laughs> since I got Ginny a year just over a year ago um because they all want to share and it's and it's gorgeous and I love dogs um you know so it's it's but it's it's great you know and and she's lovely and she's a great presence you know so I think not having to hide who you are cuts through the authenticity and I think also gives you real joy because it establishes a sense of belonging doesn't it you can say who you really are you haven't got to hide you haven't got to sneak out it's not like you know you know, making excuses to sort of like go and do the school run because actually the, the meeting can start five minutes later, you know, or, and I think, you know, and then they go to their club or then they go, but it's, it's fine, isn't it? There's, I'm a champion for two, three days.com as well, just so you know. So just declare. What, what, what is that? Uh, I don't... So it's, it's, it's a great company that essentially places senior women in part-time roles and, and I'm just a huge advocate for flexible working. And I think it's not, it's not just a women or a parent thing, actually. I think if we can find a way to really crack flexible working, massive gift for everybody. And I think if that's the biggest gift that the, the pandemic can give us, alongside an appreciation for nature, probably, um, I think that's just huge because that can massively shake up the way we work. And, you know, that is the potential future of not even just how we work, but the future of how we live. You know, that's huge. We spend so much time doing our jobs. If they can be joyful, but if they can be properly interwoven without it being too much of a mess or woven as much as you actually want to, but just working in such a way that it, it does work, then that's great, isn't it? And so many companies did do very well during during the pandemic because people found different ways. I just, I would worry that we do go back to a new normal and really underachieve there. And that would be really much more terrifying to me than completely you know, seeing how much better it could be. Yeah, I think the genie's out of the bottle. I mean, I, I, I was just thinking as you were speaking that, um, you know, it's so liberating for me now. I can actually say to someone, I'm sorry, I can't meet this afternoon. I've got to watch the test match. Amazing. I watch the cricket. Yeah. And, 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 it, and I feel okay about doing that, about saying that. I can't and, believe you're uh, a cricket fan. I'm just going to judge you, Michael, for saying it. <laughs> I mean, how funny that you couldn't say that as well. No, I mean, of course you couldn't. Like, I mean, it's something that was so important to you. Or, yeah. Or anything like that. I mean, it we were in this sort of business straitjacket. I mean, I actually just got to mention something that horrified me. <laughs> I think it was oh. yesterday in the news. Um, the, uh, is it Marie Le Pen, the, mm. the French uh, politician who's uh, vying for a top spot with Macron? Yeah. 
mm-hmm. um, the French president. And uh, apparently she's asked all her staff to, from now on, to wear suits and ties. And I, I, I honestly had, I had, uh, it was like, a, what do they say when you had a, um, a flashback? Yes, yeah. And I had a flashback to the days when I used to ha- work a lot with Goldman Sachs on Wall Street. And regardless of the weather, so and, and literally there were times when it was 100 degrees in Manhattan and, and, and 100% humidity, you'd still have to wear a, a suit and tie. Yeah. You'd have this horrible collar with a tie and, and the, the feeling of being constricted was just horrible. And, yeah. and I thought to myself, oh my God, how horribly hellish to have to return to that yeah. and how unnecessary to, to have to wear a, a tie. Yeah, well, and also listen to the word. I mean, it is a tie, you know, and it's yeah. tying up, it's constraining you, it's a tie. And I mean, I'm obsessed with words and language and, and storytelling, obviously, um, you know, and, but just hearing you say that, yeah, it's so obvious, isn't it? It's, it's a tie and it's, it's literally that kind of trying to constrain people, telling them what to wear. And I just think I, I always hear the quotes because obviously I'm, my background as a journalist, but that's the thing that fascinates me because it, it's trying to control, whereas actually I'm so much more interested in, in a world where we just empower people to get, get busy being them, you yeah. know? <laughs> and, it's, and I just think that I just know that will be so much more productive. And I think, you know, that's what really relates. And as soon as you're trying to throw down rules like that, I mean, of course, you're having a physical aversion to it because it was how you had to dress up. Oh, it's and, suffocating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, um, my old friend Ray Martin is, is uh, about to bring his book out. He's been working on it for two or three years. And it's, um, he, was, he won Small Business of the Year Award in the UK mm-hmm. uh, years ago. And he took a six-month sabbatical, which became 14 years, and he, in which he wow. trekked around the world. <laughs> he completely sold up his house in Fulham, sold up his, his uh, business, everything. And um, his book, recounting his journey, yeah. uh, since it's called Life Without a Tie. <laughs> which oh, is a great title. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to him. I mean, he, he decided to, to let go of the tie yeah. <laughs> and, and ties. So, how liberating how yeah. liberating yeah. yeah so um you you mentioned um storytelling um where where does that fit in do you think because it's, it's it's an interest of mine uh, yeah, is I, there a room for storytelling in in business yeah yeah because it's 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 how things get done essentially so it's the route from a to b and it's that being able to tell that story in a story makes it relate, doesn't it? I mean, it makes it true, makes it resonate. I think kind of um, one of the sort of, you know, early on in lockdown, um, for me, I was sort of like chucking the change curve at a lot of our leaders, because I was sort of saying, no matter what you're asking them to do on a kind of delivery or workflow kind of story, don't forget the human story that's also underlying here. Have a look at the change curve, the kind of, you know, the anger, the denial, the kind of people are all work, working through that. Um, and that's their lived truth. You know, that's their daily lived truth. Why don't you check in with, you know, with your team every day and just, just you know, or every week and ask that question, where, where do you think you are right now today or something like that? Because I think it opens up the story, doesn't it? And it's like, actually, today is this or today is that. And I think... Being able to make things much more real, 
and meaningful kind of then kind of people then can people can get busy doing the work kind of takes the kind of the basic needs off the table and they're safe so I think the power of storytelling because you can share the inspirational story of how someone's already got there or you can you can share the insight or you can really share a real truth that will kind of relate to someone yeah I think that's something that I mean it was it was built into me so I, I I'm you know I, I already have it as a gift because I love stories um, and I love to, you know, to regale them, but I've also to just hear people's stories. And I am still always that nosy journalist going, you know, when you said that, what did you mean by that? And tell me a bit more about this. And yeah, it's quite, it's quite an obsession for me because I'll be in a meeting and I'll always be thinking, how do we tell that as a film? Or, you know, what's the top line? Or, you know, if I was, if I was having to tell, tell my friend at a pub, you know, you know, how am I going to say that in 30 seconds, you know, to make them interested? And I think that's that's the power of storytelling because people don't want to, don't want to, you just, you just don't get the same buzz from a spreadsheet is essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> it's the kind of like, I, I care about the facts and the stats and things like that hugely. And I think they're part of the storytelling, but I'm sort of saying, it's only when you bring in a human that somebody cares about um, or make it relatable um, that I think it really comes to life. So I just think, yeah, it's it's what I always try to do. Um, when I when I joined technology, when I think one of the first films, and this might have been really for my own benefit, was was to to tell the story of a story, and um, which is a bit meta, but I essentially it was the workflow story, and we just told the story of all of the different tech systems that were underpinning the making of the story, and but we followed the reporter through that process, and it sounds really obvious, but the two weren't kind of actually being spoken about in the meetings I was in, as even relating to each other, all the systems were being talked about separately. Um, the, you know, the editing system, the wolf deck, the camera, the thing like that. And actually just that, the power of that film, seeing it all come together and share the story. And I mean, the story we followed was um, the story of people meeting on, on the beach to run into the sea at dawn, actually, when in the kind of like, when they were allowed out of lockdown. And like just seeing that kind of, you know, people embracing nature and telling that story, but looking at it through its phases, as a story in itself was was really powerful. And I think um, that's because we we followed that one journalist, but we also followed the, the people's story. Um, I mean, that's a small example, but it just, I think it just helps things land. Mm-hmm. It's, it's what we're made of. It cuts through to the soul. Um, and I think it's, it's that kind of, yeah, it's that stuff. I'm getting a bit Shakespearean now. Um, that I think you know is is really really important to get stuff done. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, uh, was listening yesterday to, um, in fact, he's going to be my next guest. There's a guy called uh, um, Emile Brock mm. who works for a, a Dutch company uh, called Sousa. Mm. And um, what what he, they've got their own in-house rock band, and they do parodies. Uh, so they take popular Brilliant. songs and they change the words uh, into technology because they're a tech, tech firm. Right. And the, 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 the one, his latest favourite, which I'm actually hoping to play a clip of and, uh, when, when I do the interview with him, 
is of um, that song by um, Linkin Park. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I can't sing it. I can't remember what the name is exactly, but it's they're really good band. I mean, they are really good musicians and great mm. vocalists. They, they, they could be the band itself, like Linkin Park. Um, they do stuff like we're from Rage, Rage Against the Machine and yeah. uh, killing in the name of uh, coding in the name of they use instead of <laughs> killing in the name it's coding in the name. Yeah. But why I'm mentioning it at all is that this Linkin Park parody is actually tells the story of their company. Yes. And so you, you can imagine being part of a company where you've got your own band and they the words tell from the roots birth of the company mm -hmm. from Linux to Sousa and all the way through and it's just an incredible vehicle for telling I love them. it I absolutely love it and actually I do we do that in my family we rewrite song lyrics so oh. um, when my uncle was um, 40 to the tune of um, locomotion we did grab the Grecian lotion John B um, <laughs> and things like that so there's always a and um, you know and my, my dad, who's little verbose, um, my mum did a, did a spoof of you say it best when you say nothing at all um, for him, which is Rona Keating. But all of my webinars are named after song lyrics on um, Life More Extraordinary. So we actually did do Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. How angry is your social media feed? <laughs> and, um, and it was when everybody was talking out about quality, Black Lives Matters, climate change. And it was like kind of everybody's, you know, really you know, talking about causes. But equally, we did The Kids Are All Right, aren't they? Which was looking at homeschooling. So I do think, yeah, there's a real truth in that, isn't it? Because it's it's what you grow up with, how you understand the world and translate it. Um, but it definitely, yeah, definitely appeals to me. I mean, I'm about to speak at a conference next week and the title is, are we Zoomans or are we dancers? And that's, oh. you know, from the Killers track. Yeah, yeah. And that's because I think the way we express express things is kind of through the art of storytelling and song lyrics that yes song lyrics are absolutely made of gold dust aren't they in that respect yeah. so yeah no I absolutely love the song lyrics so we did uh, one of the early ones that we did um at the beginning of lockdown was looking at kind of resilience and burn and bounce back we did I get locked down but I get up again <laughs> but then actually that that was that was stolen from one of the quiz names on that aforementioned quiz but uh, you know people are creative and being able to sort of like you know take the joy out of really difficult moments is making it relate isn't it to stories that you've been told songs that you've been singing um yeah so I think yeah I love I absolutely love that I have to go and write a song now okay <laughs> uh, before you go and write a song I'm just going to uh, wrap it up here um mm. I have been speaking with Sarah Burbage, who's head of change at the BBC. And um, we've been talking and having some fun. Um, and we've been talking about fun and play and um, being disruptive and things like that and storytelling and uh, these things and how they play a role in our work lives and of course in our personal lives as well. And um, um, finally, Sarah, would you like to, is there anything you'd like to say before we sign off? I know, just, it's been really great fun. Did I say anything that sounded sensible? hope not. No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> great speaking to you, Michael. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, you're not going to get away with it either. We, if you're willing, um, we need to know how to get hold of you, the audience. Yeah, sure. So you can find me, um, 
So you can search livemoreextraordinary.co.uk. Um, you can find me through the BBC or along LinkedIn, Sarah Burbage. Um, and yes, I am head of change. Um, so yeah, do check me out and be great to hear from you. And spell the name as well. So. Oh, go on then. It is a tricky one. So it's Burb with an edge. B-U-R-B-E-D-G-E. Okay, great. Yeah, because we our listeners are all over the planet. So some, some people... Uh, you know, find it easier to understand English than others. Sure. So yes, sarah.burbage at bbc.co.uk. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been a real pleasure on a, on a relatively gloomy day to uh, certainly brighten my life up. So thank oh. you very much. And I hope everyone's enjoyed it, who's been listening. Thank you, um, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. So I am going to press the uh, stop recording button. Yeah.